Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. So welcome to this FEPS Talks. Uh, I'm uh, delighted to be uh, sitting uh, here uh, with our very special uh, guest today in order to discuss one very important topic in the context, and that is how to build uh, a feminist recovery. So my name is Leticia Thyssen. I'm the policy analyst at FEPS for gender equality. And I'm joined today uh, by Ana Sofia Fernandez, whom I would like to especially thank for being with us today. Thank you very much for inviting, it's my pleasure. So to first of all uh, introduce you to our listeners, well, you, you have a very impressive CV and for so many reasons uh, I feel that you are the most adequate person uh, to be discussing with us uh, today uh, today's topic because, well, first of all, you are speaking uh, with us as uh, the president of the Portuguese platform for women's rights, but you've also uh, had many other different uh, heads uh, that also included uh, being a vice president of the European women's uh, lobby uh, until 2000. Uh, 21, if I'm not mistaken. You have been a member of the Portuguese Economic and Social Council. Uh, you have been active uh, in the European Union and uh, United Nations level, uh, being also uh, engaged in the Spotlight Initiative, for instance. Uh, and you have been a, a, a lifelong and staunch uh, activist for women's, uh, women's human rights and equality between women. Uh, so I think that leaves us uh, on a very solid uh, background uh, to start this discussion, uh, and especially in the current context, uh, because we've seen that uh, in the past years, uh, they've been basically the European Union has been going through a very challenging uh, time, uh, impacting multiple economic uh, sectors, but also social communities uh, at the different levels. Uh, and so it seems that we're actually moving from one crisis to another. And it's becoming all too obvious that once again, those that are paying the high price are women. Uh, and in fact, it's been the case with the pandemic. But now as if things were not bad enough, uh, as was also uh, already indicated by the statistics, uh, we are seeing the same scenario repeat itself over and over again. Uh, we have seen the, it was the case for the Ukraine crisis, uh, uh, but also the way that women's rights are being trampled uh, around the world uh, with the case uh, in the US uh, Supreme Court decision to overturn the constitutional right to abortion, not to mention how women are treated as second-class citizens in Iran or Af Afghanistan, and now with the current cost of living crisis, where, uh, for instance, uh, we have already uh, some predictions uh, that are showing that basically the higher fuel uh, and uh, food prices are, are hitting women even harder. So all in all, uh, and let's be honest, uh, in perhaps in not the most uh, auspicious uh, context and environment, the EU plan to actually relaunch the European Union and its member state uh, by uh, setting up uh, its so-called next generation EU fund and uh, the following uh, recovery plan could not be more needed. Uh, and so in that sense, uh, how can this also uh, help us curb inequalities and deliver well-being for all? Could you, uh, could you give us a uh, uh, your insights uh, in this regard. Indeed, <clears throat> we are in a very special moment in time. We never thought we would have a pandemic that changed completely our lives. And we saw during that period of confinements that when everything stopped, actually, it was the women's work, the one that usually is undervalued or not paid at all, done at home that kept society going. So the next generation EU is a window of opportunity. We have investment in place. It's the first time. It's a different answer from the last crisis. But the big question is, does this investment is going to reduce inequalities between women and men, those that were increased after the pandemic? And is it fit for the right moment when we have an extra crisis going on, as you mentioned, with the cost of living and so many persons having now big difficulties and poverty actually 
increasing and we know that among the poorest women are the poorer. So the big question is how can we make sure the next generation EU actually answers the needs of everyone, including women, the ones that suffered the most. And here we are a little bit upset that um, the gender dimension was somehow not fully considered in, in the design of, of the package and we are also worried with its implementation. What we consider that is missing is a very strong care dimension within the next generation EU and the recovery and resilience plans. Because with care we could walk to a situation where everyone would be able to care for the others and be cared for. And we know right now women are the ones who care the most and they are not cared for actually. And most of those that do this work are coming from a very difficult path, some from a demographic path, others are having difficulties with the extra cost of living on the top of that. So the, the big question is how do we make sure that this dimension is as important as the digital transition or the climate uh, transition as well. And for this, since we are speaking about money in the end, what is missing is gender budgeting in all this process, from the design of the package to its implementation. Because actually the EU, it's obligatory, according to the treaties, to have a gender mainstreaming perspective in all policy areas. So before decisions are made, we need to be able to answer on the implications or the consequences on the situation of both women and men. And this, when it comes to money, is about gender budgeting in the end. So to understand how this money is going to improve the life of women, their experiences, how it is going to reduce, in fact, the inequality that we have in place. And it's not entirely clear yet how this is going to happen, but as far as the women's movement is concerned, we have been pushing very much to have this very present. And I must say, even the regulation of the next generation uh, of the EU funds, it was a bit of a fight to make sure <laughs> there was a reference there, or a big fight, I must mm. say, that there should be a reference there about women and uh, about how this should answer to, to the needs of, of women in, in Europe. And in terms of implementation, it's even worse because it's not possible if a woman today asks how much of all those millions is going actually to areas where there is a huge inequality, how much this is going to reduce this inequality between women and men, no one can answer. So this is about accountability as well, and it's about transparency as well to more than half of the population in the end. So it's an issue, even right now in the current situation in Europe, it's an issue, the possibility to answer to those who ask the questions. And the women's movement managed to put there some references, and there, there is an article, but in terms of implementation, there is a lack of uh, knowledge or willingness sometimes in some countries but a lack of knowledge of what it is, in fact, gender mainstreaming, how it can be done, how to do ex-ante gender impact assessment, how to do an ongoing one, how to do an exposed gender impact assessment, how to redesign what is being implemented according to the facts that are found when we implement those, those tools to understand the reality. So right now it's a critical moment. We have a window, I would say, of opportunity with this package, but it will all depend on what we can make out of it and how we can make the connection between this package and the priorities that exist at EU level in terms of gender equality and also I would say with the governance mechanisms in a way. Mm -hmm. 
because for this to be effective there should be some binding aspect to it and there should be some indicator that would connect with the economic governance as well. Yeah. Indeed, I, I think what you're actually illustrating here is that basically budgets are not neutral, right? Uh, right. That they are resting on uh, certain gendered assumptions about the way that societies work, that the, the economy work, uh, and they also mirror political priorities. Uh, so in that sense, uh, uh, budgets can also be a powerful tool uh, to transform our societies, uh, but they can also discriminate. Indeed, the budgets are not neutral. Those are resources that exist, and everyone should benefit from those resources. But where to put the money is a political choice. And sometimes this political cho choice is gender blind. We mm. saw this with the design of the package of the recovery and resilience plan. When we have chosen the digital and the climate, those are areas where traditionally men work the most. Mm. And those are also the areas of the future, well paid. Uh, so in fact, the question is, are we creating jobs for men? Because we see that the choices of women and girls throughout Europe, when it comes to what to study and what careers to follow, in terms of the STEM careers, and I'm thinking now of Portugal, right now we have a decrease. In the past, there was a tendency to increase, but right now, in this moment in time, there is a decrease. So if you want the digital transition to succeed and women to be part and benefit from it, the measures that are there need to have some kind of positive points, positive measures, affirmative measures, because they are the ones underrepresented there. And it's not in five, six years that are, they are going to be there. And they are going to study those fields and they are going to be part of the design of this digital transition. Because being a very male-dominated field, this means as well that how the new technologies are being produced, they are somehow biased because mm -hmm. the women's experiences are not embedded in, in them. Mm -hmm. So what to choose in terms of new technologies as well? What product? How are we going to apply this? In, in which areas of life? Because, for instance, we don't have yet a hobo, for instance, that can do all the house cleaning. But we are almost having cars that drive by themselves. But in that sense also, because you were yourself uh, uh, mentioning the importance uh, of uh, implementing gender impact assessment mechanisms. Uh, and as you were also saying, uh, it has been mainly thanks to the proactive uh, role that, uh, that was led by feminist activists and also with the support of the European Parliament, that eventually gender was integrated uh, in the recovery uh, funds and the regulation. Uh, so how, how can we actually ensure that finally gender uh, does not come as an afterthought? Well, because uh, in fact we did not start well. <laughs> because our feminist, our model, our economic model still is a patriarchal model. Because what is valued is what it is outside of the home. So what is monetized? And this is a, a patriarchal model in itself and therefore the thinking around how this work that is usually done by women undervalued, invisible, how to make it visible, even in public accounts, how to make this work visible. If we were to say that the work that women do in, at home, for instance, would need a value, how much would this value be? How much would be in terms of GDP of a country, for instance? There are some projections and it's huge. So in fact, this work has been the basis that allows all the rest of the society to function, but it keeps being invisible. And if, it, if we don't make it visible as something that is important for societies, for women, for men, for everyone, if we don't make it visible, how can we make sure that the policies that we implement that are supposed to answer the needs of everyone are actually answering those needs? It's very difficult. So we need somehow indicators. 
that are binding and can make a relation with economic governance. And the time use of women and men, in our perspective, in my perspective, would be an important indicator. Because it shows how much time women and men spend in the so-called productive work and in the so-called reproductive work. And seeing over time the tendency of this indicator would mean that uh, we would have a basis to understand if the policies that we are trying to implement will be aligned with gender equality or not. But for this we need to have sex disaggregated data, of course. And we need to have uh, gender indicators. I've, I mean, for instance, the gender equality index already is, a, is a, a good index. But even this one is not embedded in the main economic governance yeah. mechanisms. Which it's was, not there. It was mentioned, right, in the last two days' discussions, uh, as we were actually now busy uh, for, for two full days almost uh, discussing uh, the social aspects of the recovery. Uh, and we have certain tools and strategies related to gender equality that are there, like the index, but are not necessarily mobilized uh, yes, in these side sort of instruments. Indeed, and, and member states are gathering the data for the index, so the index exists. Mm. Of course, it doesn't have all the dimensions we would like to have the index itself, but there is an index, and there is an average for the U around this index. So imagine if it would be embedded in all the, the policies. This would mean that there would be a coherence in the policies. Because sometimes policies uh, end up having different effects and there is not this coherence that allows us to move in a certain direction. And uh, this means we need to work more in making it visible, in, in, in having allies, in, in putting in the center of the discussions as well. But for this, the women's movement needs to be energized as well, you see, because the women's movement has a specific characteristic which is mostly composed of women, which have all, all the other tasks as well, you yeah. see. But then the time of women is different still yeah. from the time of men. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But then how do we actually de-gender care, for instance? Because that is also something that very much became evident because uh, uh, FEBS together with the uh, FAS, uh, the Friedrich Erbisch Stiftung, have also launched what we call the Care uh, Atlas. Uh, and precisely there, what we tried to show is a sort of uh, EU mapping uh, of the time that women and men spend on paid versus unpaid care work. Uh, and many times we realize, well, care still remains a gendered activity and a gendered form of work. So how do we actually go away from this model? And perhaps how do we implement the principles of a purple pact uh, as is also <laughs> uh, advocated for by the European Women's Lobby? Indeed. And even in countries like, like my own, Portugal, mm -hmm. where traditionally women work full-time, still the burden of care is, is on them. So they work full-time out, outside of home, and then they go home and they still do a lot of work at home. Uh, and even like, in countries like mine, where we do have paternity leave mandatory for certain years already, now we'll have the directive with a certain amount of, of days for men, but in Portugal... Work-life balance yeah, directive. Exactly. So the work-life balance directive is important in this context, but um, if we don't work towards a model where both women and men are simultaneously workers and carers, we are not going to achieve gender equality. So measures, legislative measures like mandatory paternity leave for men, paid, needs to be well paid, well, otherwise it will not function, are important. But simultaneously, we have to work on dismantling gender stereotypes or sexist stereotypes.
the ideas that are still all the time women and men are receiving in terms of being a woman or a man, you are supposed to do this or you are supposed to do that. Yeah. Dismantling those sexist stereotypes that are vehiculated through all our peers, education, while we are growing, so on and so forth, is paramount. And in, in school, in education, from an early age, education for autonomy would be important for boys and for girls. Basic things of life. Mm. But <laughs> Cooking, washing, basic things of life. These are all actually very concrete measures and proposals, right? When it comes to uh, work-life balance uh, policies, uh, uh, eradicating gender bias uh, at school and so on and so forth. Uh, but do we actually see this somehow reflected uh, in the national plans? Uh, and you especially mm -hmm. uh, coming from Portugal. Yes. Is that something that you actually see reflected in there or is it still missing? When it comes to the design of the Portuguese plan, I see it there, yes, yes. Gender stereotypes are actually a central axis of the diagnostic that was made in Portugal. So yes, in our national recovery plan, it is there. That's why, for instance, in terms of digitalization and enrollment in STEM, etc., there are measures there for women to be part and in partnership with many different uh, actors from universities to companies there is an effort going on definitely but in other areas not so much and um, to be able to have um, impact we need to work simultaneously <laughs> in different areas and for this we need to have awareness among all those that have a role to play and sometimes this is not easy because people in terms of public administration, for instance, mm. the stress in public administration is actually very, very high in terms of workload and, and the dimension of the public administration. And now, <laughs> with, this, with the re National Recovery and Resilience Plan, in the case of Portugal, a small country, even more. So, at some point, those dimensions are left behind. Mm. Even if we do have a national strategy on equality and non-discrimination. We have national action plans on equality between women and men, on fighting violence against women and domestic violence. Um, we do have it in place. We, we do have sectoral plans for equality, for instance, in the area of defense. The Ministry of Defense just launched it very, very recently. Gender budgeting is there, training on gender budgeting. We had a pilot project on gender budgeting for the first time in Portugal at the level of the state budget in 2018. So there is <coughs> willingness to do, but there are some constraints as well. So how we can come together and help each other to make this go ahead is, is, is the challenge I see in terms of coordination and coherence for action. So what should be then uh, the, the answer that we needed? What, what is uh, the, the secret, uh, the golden bullet here? <laughs> the golden bullet, well, so we need women to be vocal, for a start, <laughs> to bring those issues to the table in all different areas. We launched at the European Women's Lobby uh, an online website, uh, website uh, platform online, on gender budgeting, so that um, mm. in a very accessible uh, language, so that everyone understands it, it's not anything very, very extra complicated, um, so that women's movement can use it for their concerns and their requests and their lobbying actually at the national level and at the European level as well. We have developed some tools that we are trying to make them accessible. We have been working, of course, with members of the parliament in terms of gender mainstreaming and gender budgeting 
And we have do been doing the lobbying with the national level, so at the council level. We, at the national level of EWL, do with our governments, and we are trying to, to put this uh, going on. But care needs to go ahead in mm -hmm. terms of a policy, definitely. And the European Commission launching this strategy on care is a good sign. Mm -hmm. But now we need to connect it with all the rest, not to be sidelined again. So this is how we need to think for the future. So that is one step forward, uh, but we need more than that. Yes, definitely. Well, I think uh, uh, on this note, uh, I, I'm afraid uh, that we're already reaching time, uh, but I feel this has been uh, awfully uh, rich and comprehensive, also discussing uh, eventually a topic that might seem uh, as, let's say, uh, usual uh, hardcore politics, but nevertheless, it also brings us back to what are the essentials and the very basics uh, of our lives as humans uh, and something that also connects us all, and that is the issue of care. Uh, that perhaps, uh, I guess, uh, would be one of the main messages uh, that we can take away from, uh, from this chat uh, with you is that uh, if we want to politicize budgeting, if we want to make them uh, a true political commitment, we also need to bring at the center uh, the issues that matter the most uh, for us to function as a society, as, as beings, uh, as human beings, uh, for, for this eventually to, uh, to become a reality. So we see that uh, gender equality continue also to be, uh, to be under pressure. And, and so that is why even though we are making process, uh, it is not going fast enough. Uh, and so now everywhere in the European Union, we need to make sure that uh, we continue uh, going the road, going the right way uh, towards uh, ensuring more progress. Uh, and so it is clear that we need to do more. Uh, and when we change, uh, when change does not come uh, naturally, sometimes also regulatory or budgeting, uh, earmarking also uh, is uh, is an important uh, answer. And gender is needed uh, in that regard. So the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, legislations and budget work, uh, and we need to place care at the center of that. So I thank you very much uh, for this conversation. Uh, and I'm sure that we will uh, keep it going uh, in the coming months. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>